millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mental toughness can be, in my mind, attributed to mental skills. So coping strategies, all that kind of thing under pressure. Um, and executing a skill under pressure, whereas resilience is, to me, how you act and react when things aren't going your way, whether it be in a game, life or sport. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast, proudly presented by our parent company, Hindsight Leadership and Resilience. I'm your host, Bram Connolly, and this then is my show. A massive shout out to the podcast sponsors, Ironside Coffee and Gym Equipment Specialists, Aussie Strength. And of course, not forgetting Special Operations Research and Development, Sword Australia, for all your tactical equipment and clothing needs. Righto, let's get on with the show. Um, righto, Ian Pryor, welcome to the Warrior You podcast. No worries, mate. Thanks for me on. This isn't the first podcast you've done. No, it's not, luckily. No. But, um, I keep inviting you and you keep finding reasons. <laughs> Busy schedules for both of us. Yeah. So, who are you? Ian Pryor, professional rugby player for Western Force. Mm. Um, lucky enough to be captain at the moment as well mm. um, for the last 18 months. So, really enjoyed that. And you're sitting in front of me at the moment with a broken wrist. Yes, unfortunately... Um, couple of blokes fell on it and a mm. few things popped out of place so i got a plate back in there to hold it in place and out Ouch. for six weeks unfortunately yeah right um so today i want to talk talk to you about leadership human optimization resilience all the usual stuff <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about we'll work forwards going backwards you're the captain of the western force and we know that western force has been through the ringer i guess since well we, we can talk about that in a moment but um you're the captain there how did that happen how did you how did you find out that you were going to be the captain for what is an international rugby team? Um, well, I was sort of uh, coming back from the UK. I was playing for Harlequins over there after Western Force got kicked out of Super Rugby. And um, after a bit of a rough year, uh, that year, sort of um, off the field, we, um, my, now wife and I just kind of said, oh, we'll come back to Perth and mm. enjoy life there because that's you know, a great place to live over here in Perth. And um, we were due to get married on her farm and that kind of thing and focus a bit more on off-field rather than rugby and sort of came back and the coach sort of pulled me aside one day and said, oh, can we go for a coffee and um, asked me to be captain from there. So mm. uh, that was last year and, yeah, was, huge, huge And was that, a, was that a surprise to you? Uh, it was a little bit. Um, yeah. I've always sort of been in leadership groups and whatnot and we had a couple of big names in the team, um, you know, some very experienced campaigners and mm. I just kind of came back, you know, Hope to be in the leadership group was probably, you know, a goal of mine, that kind of thing. And then when he asked me, you know, I was obviously very excited at the challenge and mm. I just thought it was a, a huge privilege and a big honour. And how did it make you feel when when those words were uttered in front of you, like, we want you to be captain? Was it surreal? Yeah, it was a bit surreal, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, I played professional rugby for seven, eight years and had been vice-captain, that kind of thing, and captain for certain games, but hadn't really been captain of a squad. So, um, yeah, it was really exciting and... Um, you know, it's kind of like when you get told you're making a debut kind of thing, I guess, probably uh, similar emotions and feelings to that. Yeah, and you're not 
You're about the same size and weight as me, a lot, a lot stronger <laughs> and faster. Um, so you're not the biggest guy on the team. So so it's not like you're not like you know a John Eels there who's towering over people, and now you're the captain and your force of presence. You've got to have presence in another way, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably the most competitive bastard out there, that's for sure. But yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I'm not really a dominant uh, physical force in terms of weight, height, all that kind of thing. But obviously, like most people do in sport, try and lead by my actions, and mm. um, certainly. Working with a few mentors um, and obviously having chatted to you over the last 18 months, got to learn a bit more of the ins and outs of leadership mm. and how to sort of have that influence on and off the field, um, which was really beneficial. Would you say Would you say that not being the biggest person out there is not that big an issue? Not really that big an issue for you? No, not at all, because I think it's what you do and how you carry yourself. It doesn't matter about your physical sort of uh, components and whatnot, particularly in sport, is sort of how you carry yourself, how you react under duress, um, you know, when things are going well, everyone can be acting well and everything's happy and rosy, but when things aren't going your way and whether that be sport, the battlefield or work or life, that's sort of uh, where you judge a character. And I think through my parents growing up, you know, um, having immigrated over from Zimbabwe and all the stuff that sort of happened there politically, mm. um, they taught me a lot about resilience and, mm. um, yeah, just a, a, a very fortunate upbringing, I think, which helped. Yeah, we'll 100% get into resilience. just want to unpack the leadership stuff a little bit more. What would you say would be the definition of leadership as far as in the context of sport for yourself like what is what is leadership on the sporting field for me leadership is probably a bit of a um a balance and a fluid dynamic between um you know influencing and empowering i think um obviously influencing about to get uh, the people underneath you, your subordinates and the individuals you're working with as well as the coaches and everything to work in a certain direction, a certain way, but also empowering individuals to be able to ha- make their own decisions You know, while we are trying to achieve that goal. And you know, something we really tried to work on at the Western Force was empowering the individuals because you know, whether it's on a sporting field or the battlefield, you might you know, lose a player to injury, who's the leader and that kind of thing. And does that send the team into chaos or does it actually galvanise the team and say, right, okay, I've got the chance here to step up and I know I've got the powers and the backing from everyone else to be able to step up. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's really a true definition um, by it's the dictionary, good. but it's sort of, a, yeah, it's it's a fluid dynamic for me, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think influence is definitely the, the key cornerstone part of leadership and a lot of that is built over time, relationships over time. Um, you said before about having there's moments where you may lose a key player or even the captain yourself. Do you visualise those impacts happening before the, before the game? What's the process to under, so that I can understand and the listeners can understand the process of you know, losing someone like that? What have you done to set yourself up to be, I guess, t- the team to be resilient in that case? Yeah, I guess um, training-wise, go through a few different scenarios there, um, whether that's sort of losing a player to a sin bin or say you lose a player and you're man down, then you have to play one less player the whole team. So obviously that physical component there. But as well as the visualising um, and working off the field as, as a group to work towards that. So, you know, like I said, it's sort of that work off the field in terms of empowering individuals, okay, so you, know, you can challenge them with different scenarios and, and work in groups to find who the leaders may be to expose those leaders, whether it be, you know, off field with a military training camp, that kind of thing, or a team building camp, you mm. can see who the voices are, as well as in the mini subgroups. So obviously you've got like your forwards and your backs, but then there's little subgroups in that. So we can do exercise where we review, preview, and guys are learning to give each other 
open and honest, open and honest feedback, which sometimes is the hardest thing. You're playing mm. with these guys that you genuinely care about and you're mates with, but you're telling them, you know, look, that's not good enough mm. because that balance between friends and mateship and leadership is a, um, a delicate one at times, but mm. you're still going to be able to lead the people that you care about and play with all the time. Yeah, it's just sort of gone into my head that, that you know, there was that very um, – sort of tribal you're all you're all the same sort of level and rank to use a military term and the next thing you know you're now the captain how do you how did you deal with with your friends who may have thought that they were going to be the captain <laughs> yeah a tough question i know <laughs> no absolutely and um you know we're as elite athletes very competitive mm. people you know mostly type a personalities and mm. uh full of testosterone so yeah look obviously some guys Initially, we're probably, you know, hoping that they were going to be captain. That's fair enough. Like, um, some people have those ambitions and whatnot. But I guess, yeah, I guess just being human is mm. probably the biggest thing I can say. Like, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be honest and say, look, maybe I don't have the answer for this. Would you be able to help out? You know, this is your skill set. This is my skill set. Can we utilise um, both components there? Yeah. And uh, having enough of a relationship with them to be able to, you know, say, okay, look, I don't think this is good enough or or whatever it may be, mm. understand there may be a bit of tension there at some point, but there's enough respect there and mm. um, trust in each other's character that you know after that the wind is blown past there, we'll be back to square one and, and back to where we were. So mm. yeah, so it's like I'm the captain. This is this is this is how this is going to roll, and we need a, a line in the sand for if I'm out of order or if you're out of order. Yeah, and both I guess as a group, you know, you have to decide on you know, your ethos as a team, where you want to go as a team. And because we were starting from scratch and we came together so quickly, we had that that ability to do and we could say, right, where do we want to go with this team and how do we want to build it? Mm. And everyone had input in that as well, which is also empowering for the individuals because then now everyone's responsible for the day-in-day-out actions and and what we're looking to do to achieve those those outcomes. Yeah, right. So what does a, what does a normal training day look like for an elite athlete? Uh, so I'll go pre-season because that's where we sort of definitely earn our money. Yeah. Um, Is it really? Yeah, well, you just do more hours. So obviously yeah. um, in season, there's probably more stresses like week to week. You're basically having an exam every Saturday or Friday, mm. not only in front of your mates but in front of people on TV, Yeah, uh, a lot of keyboard warriors, all that kind of stuff. But pre-season is where we sweat and grind because generally it's in the summer in Australia. So you know, you're training in December, January in Perth, it's hitting 40, 45 degrees. Mm. Um, you're baking from the inside out and you're, bashing and tackling each other so you know we'll come in we'll just go with a monday say on a pre-season so we'll come in 7 a.m we'll be checking in doing all our measuring scores so you know how's your flexibility sit and reach all that kind of stuff to see if there's any flags physically mm. uh check in obviously online mentally how's your well-being how'd you sleep what's your weight all that kind of stuff again just to identify any overtraining markers then do it with what we call physical preparation so you stretch your role sort of uh, gearing up the body for a big day ahead um, after a weekend sort of to recover uh, we'll lead into a meeting and as we know males attention span is quite short so we try and keep that to 15 to 20 minutes mm. we head out into the field so it could be you know whether it's a speed um, you know fitness kind of focus for the session and then we do a bit of skill work around that so we catch pass all that kind of stuff mm. uh, could be some contact in there as well that'll be generally about 90 minutes uh, including warm up the session following that guys will do refiners so they might work on their goal kickers i'll do my goal kicking hookers might do some throwing whatever it may be head back up do a bit of recovery ice bars stretch all that kind of stuff um get a bit of refuel nutrition a bit of caffeine in you to try and uh, reshape for the afternoon and then the afternoon will generally be like a unit specific session so 
your forwards will do line out scrums, your backs will do certain moves, that kind of stuff. Backs have it pretty easy, to be honest. And then uh, we'll do some gym as well. So mm. an upper or lower body session, that'll be – so the unit session will be an hour, gym will be an hour to 90 minutes. So, yeah, it's about four hours of training there. And then, uh, again, we'll do a bit of recovery. Some guys will need to get physio, massage, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, and then you're kind of left to your own devices. So – yeah, it can be anything like that. Obviously, the template can change. You might do gym and units in the morning to pre-fatigue you in a team session in the afternoon, so we're working under duress, under fatigue. So there's a lot of things that the sports scientists and the uh, coaches can play with there to make our lives easier or harder. And as the captain, I assume you have other responsibilities too, media commitments and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously media commitments, uh, sponsorship engagements, as well as uh, engaging that community you know, around promotions, all those kind of things. So we'll do school clinics, club clinics, um, talking with sponsors, potential sponsors, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I had to do a bit of learning there and mm. the public speaking, which, like most people, I haven't enjoyed and mm. um, you know wasn't really good at. But certainly, the more you do something, the more you enjoy it, and you feel a bit more confident out there. So, what is your process before you have to talk in public? What do you What do you do? Um, I'll just try and ground myself, to be honest, to start off with. So obviously, mm. it's a bit a bit similar to meditation, where you kind of come in, you know, feel. The, wheel your toes, feel the feet, what sounds can you hear, just sort of be present mm. um, as well as, you know, take a few deep breaths to slow down the central nervous system because you're probably mm. a bit excited um, and ready to go to speak in front of a bunch of strangers that you don't know. Mm. And then uh, hopefully sometimes they'll give you some prep material, um, other times they won't and you just have to sort of back yourself in your judgement and try not to say anything too outrageous. <laughs> yeah. I, I have another way that I do it, the way I prepare is, I do that preparation, so I generally know the content I'm going to talk about. Um, and I've seen you have to talk on the fly before as well. It's actually not too bad. Um, but then rather than ground myself, I guess most of the stuff that I do comes from a humble place and, and, and I try and keep myself at the same level as who I'm at. But about 10 seconds before I have to go on stage, if it's in front of 1,000 people or 50 people, I, I usually think to myself, I have a career, I had a career that most of these people wanted to have. Every one of these guys and some of the girls even, when they were little kids, wanted to be in special forces. And I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to dominate this room because I'm the baddest prick in here. <laughs> and, then, and then confidence goes through the roof. Yeah. And I'll set up and then I'll just slam home those points. And then usually I start with a couple of jokes and then if the jokes don't fly, then I say, wow, that was really funny when I rehearsed it. And then that generally gets a laugh. And if that doesn't get a laugh, I usually walk off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. But there's, there, everyone has something a little bit different to get over that fear of crowds and yeah, I don't like it either, to be fair. It's, it's bloody scary. But, I'd, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think, that, I, think, I think having that confidence in who you are and the fact that, you know, you're here to stand up in front of these people, to put on a show um, and to provide them with good quality content. And I've, talk, I've seen you talk after Twiggy Forrest talk down at the, <laughs> down at the beach there. And um, I think you were taken a bit off guard by it. But you did a great job, you know, of pushing Western Force of rapid rugby at the time, yeah. Yeah, I think um, certainly there's some good points there. I'm uh, probably not the greatest of jokes, so I probably won't try that, to be honest. I tried that at a wedding once. As a best man didn't go down too well. <laughs> turned, turned into a 21st. Yeah, there's a few crickets. Um, but, yeah, I think I am quite lucky in that, you know, generally I have to perform and execute skills in front of, you know, ten to 15,000 people week in, week out at Global Rapid Rugby or NRC where it's a few less people. So um, probably, yeah, subconsciously do have that yeah. confidence to be able to execute Hell yeah. Um, I mean, what's going through your mind in front of 10,000 people? I'm sure you've done it in front of more, Mm. probably, when you've got to kick a gilbert or whatever it is through those posts. Yeah, it's um, 
What's it's going in, through your mind? Is anything or are you just there in the moment? Um, you and the ball? and Yeah, generally in the moment. Um, have a process that I go through. I guess similar to military if you're executing mm. a shot or a, a sniper executing a shot kind of thing, trying to get control of the breath. and mm. um, Generally, yeah, after we score a try because I'm the halfback for a lot of running, so I'm probably out of breath. And, yeah, I bet. You know, um, trying to centre in terms of that, but it also depends on how the game's going. You know, might have made a few mistakes earlier. You're not feeling red hot about yourself, whatever it may be. Mm. Um and just trust in that process. It sounds cliche, but that's literally all it is. Mm. Um, obviously, sometimes you'll hear a few people in the crowd telling you that you're no good and that kind of thing. But being <laughs> the competitive as I am, that only uh, actually helps me focus even more. So I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've yeah. been. Yeah, I've told you the story before where I've been in the crowd where a mate went all the way to Brisbane just to just to sledge a player that's left his team and go and play for the other team. And, uh. Hope you break your theme. Yeah, <laughs> your theme sounds about right. Uh, um, but yeah, trusting in that process, and you've you've done that. I don't even know. It would be countless times you've kicked that. You know, you, you've kicked that ball through the uprights, um, and you don't miss much during a game. Pretty rare. Yeah, last it few is, years, isn't it? Last few years, I've been uh, quite lucky. All the hard work's paid off. And luck. Yeah, I was, well, you make your own luck as well, but. Yeah. Kicking around that 90, 95%, which is... Which is, um, well, which is like, world-class. Yeah, it's, and it's something I'm proud of. It's something I've worked really hard at, again, yeah. in the process, doing things under pressure, under fatigue, and, you know, you, you train to play. Um, yeah. And so trying to challenge myself with different situations. You know, there might be a session, a kicking session, where I say, right, I've just got one kick today, and that's it. So you put a little bit of unconscious or subconscious pressure on yourself there mm. because, you know, as a kicker mm. and as a competitive person that... Sometimes has a bit of OCD with certain things. You want to maybe kick a thousand reps or kick ten in a row, but you know, mm. days you'll okay. I'll, I'll have as many reps as I want. Other days, no, nah, just got the one kick, and it might be from the sideline, it might be from front. Just got to make that. So, mm. um, I guess it's a bit off topic, but yeah, just a bit of training, training variation, and yeah. Um, so if it's pissing down with rain, you're out there kicking. Yeah, well, could happen in a game. Yeah, um, we, we're not fortunate enough. In what about now with play. a broken arm? Yeah, I kicked today in yeah. joggers. So, yeah. you know, there's things you can do around that. So, yeah. I can't kick a ball out of hand at the moment because the plate's still getting set. But, you know, I put the ball on the tee. Yeah. Had a three-step run-up, kicked a 60% and still hit one from 35. So, you know, there's all different things you can do and yeah. keep the body in. It's mainly just so I don't annoy other people in the training field while I'm injured, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> keep me busy. Walking around telling them they're not working hard enough. Yeah, something like that. Are you cruising around with a broken arm? Would you say, for what you do... Is it better to be a specialist or, or a generalist with rugby? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. In my experience, there's specialist positions. Mm. So your hooker, mm. um, your halfback, and your 5'8 are generally very specialist. And props, sorry, because yeah, tight head prop probably more so than loose head prop is very specialist because there's little intricacies. If you want to be world class, I think you have to specialise at that. But other positions, you can be a generalist. So you can be... As a back, you can be 100 kilos, six foot four, and fast with decent coordination. You could probably play a multiple amount of positions, whereas mm. you probably can't play halfback, mm. like that. So mm. there's just little, probably certain positions, I think, where you want to specialise if you truly want to be world class, and there's certain skills you have to execute as part of that position. And does that does that get identified early on in a, in a person's career? And, and they're like, this guy is really good as a generalist, but they would be a great specialist in as a 5'8 or as a hooker or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's becoming more common with sports science and, you know... Which you've got a degree in? Yeah, a couple. Um, Which must make it hard for your trainers just quietly. Yeah, um, I'm not the best bloke to have in rehab because 
I question most things that we're doing, but it's mainly just so I can learn. Yeah. And say why can't we do this or why yeah. can't we do that? So yeah. Um, generally, yeah, the physios have always kept on their toes, and I've been in rehab, mm. so luckily I haven't been in there too much besides mm. this year. So mm. yeah, back onto the specialist journalists. Mm. I just think coaching and sports science has evolved. You know, and you see basketball players going and scholarship to play AFL or rowers going and playing whatever it may be. You know, so there are, <coughs> excuse me, certain. Yeah, generalist skills that will transfer across sports, but there mm. are a few that you need to specialise in if you want to be world class. And I think some people have, you know, they might have a guy who's a flanker, but he's a bit heavier or a bit shorter than what the international profile is. So they think, well, why don't you move to hooker or prop kind of thing? Because you've yeah. got that profile. Mm. And I've seen quite a few guys make it su- successfully out of that. So, mm. um, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, but I think there's no one size fits all. You see guys that. You know, played C grade or third fifteen at school, mm. and ended up playing for their country. You just, mm. you really don't know. I think it generally comes down to work ethic and resilience. To be honest, resilience. Um, I feel like there's there's a difference between mental toughness and resilience. I know you've heard me say this, as everyone has. Um, interested in your in your thoughts on that? If you think it's two separate things or one and the same or, or anything really around around the topic. Yeah, I think I think they're both different. Um, to be honest, I think. Mental toughness can be, in my mind, attributed to mental skills, so coping strategies, all that kind of thing under pressure, mm. um, and executing a skill under pressure, whereas resilience is, to me, how you act and react when things aren't going your way, whether it be in a game, life or sport. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me, you may not get that job you applied for. Does that knock your confidence? Do you say, no, I might not go for the next one? Those kinds of things. Mm. In sports, the same. You know, If I'm a goal kicker and I've missed my first two, Am I going to hand the, the T over to someone else or am I going to back my skill yeah. to be able to go, okay, no, nah, yeah. stick with my process, keep going through the motions and it'll come good eventually? Yeah, that's really similar to, to my feeling on it as well in that resilience is what you bring to the party right now. And that can be, that can be affected by your sleep, how much alcohol you had over the last week, month, whatever, um, nutrition that you've got and genetics. A lot of it's genetics. Most of it's probably genetics, but the other stuff also has a percentage to play. And then mental toughness is something that we can train into people through adversity, frame of reference, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, a good debate probably to have around nature versus nurture in terms of resilience. You know, It's been had. Yeah. But, but, it's, but it needs to be continually had because I think, I think we forget it. I think we forget you know, which one's more important. I'm interested to know which one's more important in sport. Yeah, that would. Do you get someone who's just resilient because their great grandfather went through the Holocaust? And I mean, that's there is epigenetic. Um, a friend of mine did a PhD in it. You know, resilience in generate generational resilience due to the Holocaust. I mean, those Israelis at that at this age now they are resilient. Mm. You know, they have to be. You know, I've talked to world class rowers who've gone to private schools and runners. In fact, Marcus Smith went to a public school in London, which is our version of a private school, and you know, and, and he was just drilled, just just drilled by. And we're talking very, very, you know, expensive school with. And this guy had a great upbringing, but he's mentally tough. Mm. Nothing to do with genetics in that regard. Yeah, I don't know which one's more beneficial. To be honest, I mean, we special forces we select people who are resilient. But some of that can be masked through mental toughness too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And fitness. And do you, when, when you've selected them and you're upskilling them, are you training them for mental toughness because they are resilient people? Mm. Trying to improve their resilience again, another fold. No, just training them to be mentally tough. 
Yeah, which is maybe where the wheels fall off the wagon <laughs> at some point. No, it's really interesting. So nature or nurture, what do you think is probably most beneficial? Or do you, do you have an opinion on that? Not really, to be honest, because mm. I think, like with leadership, I think it's fluid. I think mm. you can – someone um, through family or genetics can be resilient and someone through their own life experiences can be resilient, but their parents might have you know, had a really good upbringing as well. Mm. So I, I don't know if it's definitely one size fits all, mm. which is, uh, again, where the debate gets interesting, isn't it? It is. And mental toughness, how do you train that? A lot of it comes down to, like in sport, obviously, working on your mental skills, so your coping strategies, you know, your bouncing back strategies, all that kind of thing. Do you have to pre-fatigue, do you think, before you start to then put those stresses in place? I think you have to learn the skill um, before you're fatigued mm. to be able to actually, like if you're talking about pedagogy and, mm. and learning how to do things yeah. and upskill, you have to do that pre-fatigue and then right. once you've learned it, it's a bit innate, okay, okay, let's test it under fatigue because huh. when you're fatigued, you fall back to what you know automatic like your reflexes so that's what um paul kale says as well jj he's um you know he says you, you will you will, what is it you will uh, lower yourself to your uh actual ability you know of training not not your ideal of yourself or yeah you know. exactly and what are you guys doing special forces when you're doing selection you know the first week is about you know cutting them away cutting them away and exposing who the what the true character is and the true person is underneath mm. what they're trying to show it is Mm. You know, so that's what happens in sport in front of thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. So you, want, so you want to get it right. Do you remember? Do you remember those girls, the girl rowing team? Yes. And do you remember? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Where Sally? Yeah. Yep. What's her name? Yep. 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 Her. Um, Sally. What's her name? Um, I mean, that was in front of the world. Yeah. And she gave up. And and I, I think I look at that and I feel sad about it from from a lot of perspectives because. None of us know what was going on in the lead up to that race. I'll Google it later and have a look at it. But I mean, I've had workouts before where I've gone up. Oh, I'm done. Mm. Not very many, but a few. But yeah. imagine doing that on the world stage, just getting to the point where you're absolutely putting a hundred percent in, and then you've got nothing left. Yeah, and I yeah. think the individual athletes, particularly the individual sports, is a big one around the mental toughness and resilience. Because you know, as a rugby player, unless it's a final. You know, you've got next week. Mm. You know, in a week's a long time in sport, but if you, if you have a bad game or not your best game as a team or individual, next weekend you get to rectify that. But if it's a grand final... Or an Olympics. Know, an Olympic, well, Olympics every four years, but seasons every year. So for mm. us, yeah, okay, the stakes are high, but you mm. know, at the end of the day you can be like, okay, well, you know, I can chase it next week or next season, whatever it may be. But the Olympics, you know, you're committing your whole life to that four-year cycle. Imagine so, yeah, that. To, to not feel like yourself on that day mm. a is not ideal but b that's where you know how mentally tough and resilient are you mm. is, is um, where those athletes are phenomenal the ones that are very successful obviously yeah and she was a world-class athlete but i had heard that she had had done that in training before so w although she was one of the best in the world she came with a degree of there was a degree of caution there but that's what happens at that top end you could have someone who's absolutely unbelievable but they can be fragile too some of the swimmers are like that. Yeah, and you look at, um, you know, the All Blacks before they became as powerful as they are now at World Cups, you know. Yeah. 2003, 2007 World Cup, in between those those years. Dominant. You know, they couldn't lose. You yeah. Know, they were dominant of everything, but then it came to the pinnacle event yeah. and something just wasn't right or something wasn't gelling and they had to, you know, yeah. have a really bad result in 07. And it's been, it's, movies has been made and books been written mm. about it and that they had to have a deep look and 
the thing that they lacked in was their mental skills, and they they mm-hmm. brought in a mental skills coach, who I think was a forensic psychologist. So is there is there a power in psychology in sport? Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, and it's been written about and read about, and you look at the top echelons of sport. Yeah, you know, people that are doing that. Roger Federer's, your LeBron's, yeah. and then the teams like the All Blacks all have mental skills coaches. Yeah. I saw Jake Matthews win a UFC fight um, a couple of weeks ago, and it, he was touted to – he's a really good BJJ ground, you know, fighter. Yeah. And um, – yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The other guy was, you know, purported to be this great striker, and Jake started hitting him. Never took it to ground, just stood there and stood and delivered and just outclassed him. And I, and I wonder how much of that was – and he says it's a spare-of-a-moment thing. I think he realised that he could win this standing up. Yeah. And it's like you've got to wonder that psychology of that – that because that, if he had taken one good hit, the whole fight would have been, I'm going to take you to the ground because he'll yeah. win. Yeah. But all he must have got one good one in and he went, right. Confidence is up. Yeah. Can, I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? I can't – I've tried to wonder what it would be like being a UFC fighter – and now you're on your own and you're walking down that. Because, you know, you and I have done everything as teams. I mean, I'm very fucking courageous when I've got 30 commandos around me. <laughs> yeah. And some air support. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, you, yeah, and a lot of air support. And But you walk down that bloody, you know, lane or whatever they call it to that cage and there's about a minute 30 between you and an ass kicking. Yeah. You know. That's courageous. What they do is nuts. That is courageous, isn't it? And it is bloody mortal combat, really, because they are, they are, you know, they do go in at fighting to the death. Yeah, and they're athletes. And they're they're brutal. Yeah. Oh, they're not quite as proper as you and I, but they're athletes. Oh, some of them. Some of them move very well for their size. Yeah, yeah, You should see Paul Kale move, mate. He's like, he's 100 and something kilograms. He moves like a blooming 10-year-old kid. Yeah. Yeah, flexible. But it's interesting that, that, that um, thought as well because, you know, Mike Tyson always just said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And Man, I saw a video of Mike Tyson today on Instagram and he was showing some young fighters how to move. And he's a bit portly these days. He can still move. You wouldn't say it. No. Like he's, he's – the angles that he and the speed that he gets at those angles is like, yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I don't know where I'm going with any of this. Um, <laughs> yeah, so mental toughness, so frames of reference and, and building those, those frames of reference. When you were, when you were going through school – in uh, and it was it wasn't a crappy school, was it? No, no, it wasn't. But um, <laughs> sporting wise, it was a second division school in Queensland, so yep. um, wasn't your top echelon like your churches and whatnot. Um, mm. Because we lived a bit far was away. Was it Toowoomba? No, no, it's Redlands. Redlands, there you go. <laughs> the Redlands Farming Shire, as I like to call it to my wife. It used to yeah. be a strawberry farm area, but it got subdivided into suburbia. Go. Yeah, right. There's been some good rugby players come out of there. Uh a few. Ian um, Pryor. <laughs> Edward Kirk came out of there, who's uh, done really well for himself. Um, sevens player called Jordan Tupu mm. um, was really good as well. So, yeah, I guess uh, that that's what I think helped shape me to be resilient is I went to a, a second division school and, you know, playing, coming through the schoolboy ranks, I never made a schoolboy's team. I was always shadow because I was there or thereabouts. I wasn't 
a standout better than the GPS players, but I was probably on par with them. And, um, you know, they're always going to go with that kind of bit of experience. So I think that sort of, you know, helped build my resilience, not making those teams early on. And people that were ahead of me, you know, at that point in, in my career, I ended up surpassing later on because I'd, I'd learned to be resilient and, you know, go with the knocks and train harder and all that kind of thing. And, mm. um, probably wish I had a bit of bit more structure because back in the dial-up days I was Googling, uh, you know, strength conditioning programs for rugby and I was doing these programs with no real scientific evidence behind them. And it's pretty much me these days. Would pretty much work myself into me the Me and this carnivore, do I? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I just work myself into the ground. But, yeah. you know, it taught me that hard work pays off and yeah. you know, you've got to have that belief and those goals and if you work towards it, you yeah. can achieve it. It might not always go your way. You know, it's not a, not a linear process, life mm. or goals. But uh, Are you the hardest worker in any room? Uh, I've been in some... Um, pretty pretty big rooms in my yeah. in my footy career, so I've, I'd say I, I'd like to think I'm one of the hardest workers. I wouldn't say I'm the hardest worker because there's some people I've met that are just almost like machines, yeah, and just like unhealthy hard work, committed you know, because yeah, that's, that's interesting you say that because at some point you fall off the ledge as right. well. To be the be the hardest worker in any room is all all well and good, but at what cost? Yeah, and yeah. then you know I got opened up to some of the smartest workers in the room. So that right. was also good. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I'm the smartest worker in the room. Well, you know, you look at um That could be the title for this, okay, for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if I'd qualify for that, but um, Your mates are gonna be <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna love that one. But you know, like George Smith, um mm. you know, one of the best players in world rugby. Yep. You know, in, in our generation and I was fortunate enough to play with him for a year really? and to watch and learn off him and you know, he wasn't cool. the hardest, you know, the hardest worker off the field in terms of like he didn't flog himself heaps really believe in fitness tests all that kind of skin folds all that kind of scientific data stuff but he just loved playing footy which is massive now isn't it exactly like you you they know if you're slacking off during yeah, a session you can't hide anywhere you've got gps you've got everything and he didn't not do the work but he knew mm. all the what short, is, but what is the that shortcuts. what does that say and as a exercise you know someone who studied it as well as lived it what does that say about having a feel because you know me i'm all about data too but there's days where I rip it all off and just go and do four by four hundreds and stuff like that by feel. Yep. And yet these days, all of our top athletes, the data is is the king, and we don't have guys like like that or Matt Dunning or people who are just they don't they don't look like they should be that world class and they're amazing. Yeah. And they're doing it by feel. Yeah. I mean, I know people who race triathlons without power meters, GPSs, anything. They just yeah. go out there and do it. Yeah, and I think the best part about that is everyone's individual. Like, there's no one size fits all for everyone, mm. and it's easy to do that in a team sport because you might have one or two strength conditioning coaches, but 35 athletes. So mm. it's easy to do. You put them all in the same system, but it's not that way. Mm. Um, yeah, George Smith just built it based on experience. He knows what work what works for his body. You know, he, he would come in. He'd pretty basically train every day, but he wouldn't do excessive lifting or weights or anything like that. He'd just tick over to keep his body going. Mm. He was in one of the most combative positions, and he played for. Mm. 20 years what was that game what was that game he was in against New Zealand where they just had the ball the whole time him and um, Phil War Phil War it would have been the semi-final my do you remember that it's like they won every single breakdown over the top of that ball was incredible yeah I think I watched it a few times just to get a feel for it you know I was playing rugby for the unit at the time not very (laughs) very outside the sound world's worst but, um, yeah, it was inspiring. So that's a guy who's not dialed into all the data. 
yeah, it just doesn't get strung up on it because I think mm. you know he came through. He he was the last of sort of the, the amateur generation coming through when sports science just came in. It was becoming professional, yeah. and your league guys were coming across and helping out with that stuff. But um, and NFL now is all data. Yeah, the Americans 100%. love it. Americans love it. You know, look at their combines, all those kind of mm. things, and they'll base their judgments off data and you know, obviously money balls based on on data driven facts and all that kind of stuff. Are they as good athletes? Baseball, NFL. Or in it, no, no, what I mean is like the, the athletes that they're picking through the Columbine, through that whole process, based on data, and yet you then get these one-in-a-generation players that come along as well that are getting missed. Well, yeah, I don't really know um, it's interesting. the true facts, but I think, you know, if George Smith was in America and he went to the Combine, they wouldn't pick him because, you know, his 40-yard isn't this or this isn't that, this isn't that, but he was the best footy player of our generation. But basically. his work ethic would just be like, you know, yeah, okay. he's playing footy, I'm playing footy. On yeah, the field. and there's there's triathletes like that too who are like terrible yeah. during training, yeah. but they can race. Mm. It's completely different. Well, look at Tom Brady. You know, mm. he was one of the last picks in the NFL. You know, and so, incredible. So, yeah, so most bloody. About, but he told us that he was going to be the best pick they'd ever had. Yeah, he has been. yeah, he's got the he, most premiership rings or whatever yeah, they call them. He works super hard and he's super smart. Yeah. He knows what his skill set is and he knows how to utilize that to maximum effect to expose other people. So we're we're entering an era of super sports people who we know all the data about them, all the, all the statistics and characteristics, but they're not necessarily going to be as great as some of the others that, are, that just love the game and are passionate about it. Yeah. It's and maybe, maybe there's things that you can't measure through the data. Like There is, and that's why I think specialisation in sport too early, unless it's a gymnastics or something very specific, is detrimental to athletes. Mm. You, know, you look at some of the best athletes that have played any sport and they grow up playing yeah. Sports. They didn't just play one sport and become super yeah. focused on it because they could play tennis and cricket. And yeah, like Mark Waugh playing soccer before he played yeah. cricket. You, know, you look at Herschel Gibbs and he could have played for the Springboks, South African cricket player. Mm. That was one of their best. He could have played for the Springboks quite mm. easily. And just, you know, there's a lot of Aussies that could have done both. Yeah. Gregan could have, I think Gregan played against Ricky Ponting yeah. in cricket, you know, growing up. Yeah. So at state level and Australia level. Yeah. And who's the um, tennis player, the girl, the world number one at the moment? Ash Barty. Ash Barty. Yeah. Ash Barty played for Australia for cricket. Yeah. And then decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to tennis. Yeah. And then became the world number one. Yeah. Matt's I used to play with you know, his wife, Elise Perry, played Australian sport for two two sports. Yeah. Soccer and cricket. <laughs> Who's your biggest supporter? Um, it's probably a tie between my wife and my parents. Um, which is pretty lucky there. I knew you were going to say that. And now Riley. Riley probably takes... Okay, six yeah. months old. Yeah. You know, is that important? Family support and, you know, the supporters as opposed to the doubters? You might <laughs> yeah. have seen my post today. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, because, you know, they're the ones whose opinions that you, you count on and you trust. Mm. You might not have had your best game, but my wife would never say I've had a bad game. Um, to, my, to me, I don't think. but Not to your face. No, but, uh, you know, parents that have watched me since under sixes, you know what I mean? They know when I've played well, when I haven't played well, and they're yeah. there for guidance and wisdom and support and the maverick in that regard think i can mm. do it myself but you know at the end of the day i've probably felt like that because i have their support and unconditional love mm. you know? um and they were there through all the downs i didn't make mm. schoolboys cricket schoolboys rugby whatever it may be and I was, to be honest i was probably a better cricketer growing up than i was rugby player but i enjoyed rugby more that's in, that's impressive yeah so yeah. you know captain my first 11 cricket team in grade yeah, grade eleven. But you they know, asked me to do it in grade ten. You know, in I've, I've, I think I've shared this story with you before, but um, when you're doing 
let's say resistance to interrogation training. You've <laughs> gone somewhere with this. You've got to have a uh, you, you've got to have something to get you through a lot of shit. Yeah. And you've got to have a narrative and a story in your head that you can draw back on. A safe place. Yeah. My safe place is down the other end of the wicket with Adam Gilchrist batting and I'm the other batsman. And and when we're on a one day match and we've got to make fifty off the next ten overs. Yeah. So we're doing all right. Comfortable yeah. spot. Yeah, and then I just go and start playing cricket. Happy days. And there I am. What's your shot selection like? Well, you know, you just I'll, rotate the. Well, no, I've got a Ricky. I've got a. I've got a Ricky Ponting. Um, Ricky Ponting esque sort of hook shot over the left shoulder, which is quite, which is quite Impressive. nice. Yeah, and a roll of and a roll of the wrists um, sweep as well, which I like to play a lot. And then if I'm if I'm getting like teeth pulled out or getting buckets of cold water chucked on me or something like that, then I've got a straight drive, yeah, which wow. I just which I just go with because it's. Yeah, it's aggressive. Got to play in the V. Yeah, yeah. basics. Um, about ten percent of the listening audience know what the hell I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I'm a mad group of geeks. That's yeah. all good. No, I mean the fact that I'm being interrogated. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, but so let's talk now that I've got a world class coach as well in you on the other side of the table. Let's talk structure of training programs, base fitness. What's the best way to to get yourself fit base wise? Um, Prior to going on to a, some sort of periodization, my method is little and often. So, um, whether, like, it, whether it be like the little part, yeah, <laughs> aerobic, uh, your strength, mm. obviously anaerobic conditioning, whatever it may be. The more consistently you can apply something, and the more often, mm. the better the body will adapt. Consistency, there's that word again, That's keeps it. coming up every time I do a podcast with someone brilliant. Um, so, <clears throat> and not the same thing over and over and over again, but. The body likes structure, but the body likes being stimulated in different ways. Mm. So keeping it guessing, mm. you know, whether it be, okay, I've done a couple of aerobic runs just to get the base level fitness up, whether it be you know 20 minutes on feet or intervals, whatever it may be. Now I'm going to change it up aerobic, but mm. I'm doing the pull, mm. you know, things like that, just to keep mm. the body guessing and on its toes. And every um, and every day? Uh, I would vary it every day, definitely. Mm. You know, it depends on your schedule and what, how much free time you've got. Like we could all be world-class lead athletes if we didn't have to work every day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but – Sure, we couldn't. But yeah. Yes, but you know, you've, you have the opportunity to. I yeah. guess is probably the point I'm making. But you know, if you've got kids and work and mm. a life that you might only have half an hour to cram something in, then yeah, okay. You know, today's an aerobic day. Tomorrow's an anaerobic day. The day mm. after might be a weights day. Whatever it may mm. be, I mm. think um, fitting it around your lifestyle and what's going to be applicable long term is better than okay. I'm going to hit it really hard on this Monday. Do an hour and a half, then I don't touch anything till Friday. And so little and often, and building a base, at what point do you then go, right, I want to, I want to increase my workload, I want to get, now I want to get fit? Or are, are you, and I guess the question then is, are you training for something or training just to be fit, I guess? Yeah, and I guess, you know, my, my part, well, my, my theory is about, you know, you're building your tolerance, so you're building your tissue tolerance over a few weeks, mm. you're stressing the body more and more, but then mm. you've got to let it reload, you've got to pull the reins back, let the body adapt, freshen up. I'm good at that part. we go again. <laughs> sort of a specialist at that. Yeah. Let the hair down. Yeah. Um, okay, it's deload year. Yeah, deload year. That's it. So, um, yeah, I think a uh, little more often to start off with, and then you know you're increasing the strength or the tolerance that every, that your body can take. So adding a little bit more weight or yeah. reducing the time. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, if you're doing intervals, reducing recovery time, making them longer, making mm. the runs longer, wherever it may be. Mm. Okay, I've done three weeks of that, and I've slowly you know, increased it, whether it be linearly whatever method your method is, mm. um, but then I'm pulling it back, you know. And I've, <laughs> I've been around sport for a long time, 
10 years roughly. But um, it's it's funny, like your strength conditioning coaches and, and your physios, you know, are so big on keeping athletes fresh, all this kind of stuff. But mm. a deload week is a fucking deload week. Mm. Don't tell someone you're going to pull back 40% of the, the volume because mm. you keep the intensity, you keep the frequency – Actually, drop the volume. Don't drop it ten percent because your nervous numbers might not hit whatever targets it may be later. Right, you know? because the recovery is phenomenal from that. It is, and the braver you, you don't are, get it. No, and the braver you are with that, the better your results are going to be because you're going to be asking athletes and yourself to work. Okay, you know, this is week three. We're going for it this week. We're working hard. We're going mm. to the danger zone. But next week, next week we're pulling it back. So you're and then you don't. After. And then you don't. Mm. Then the week after the week following is when you get your soft tissues. You're right. You get your speed bumps. Yeah. Um, and that way, it's sustainable long term. Yeah, and that's you know. How do you how do you reach the alpha male who you've just told this is deload <laughs> week, and he's like, yeah, 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 but I've, I'm feeling really good, so I'm going to try and max out my one rep max on a squat. Because <laughs> like, it happens. It does happen. You're right. You're right. Um, but then there's the influence part that we talked about. Right. So the leadership enough, piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have enough of a relationship with that athlete to be right? You know, look. This is the plan. Mm. I'm looking after you here. I want, we want to hit some of the best numbers we can hit for you. Mm. And the next week we're pulling it back. So the week after and the week following, the next cycle we're going even higher. Mm. If you don't do that, we won't get here. And then we're just going to be stagnating, flatlining. Yeah. So, yeah, leadership and influence, I guess. And coaching a lot is about relationships and knowledge. Mm. But I think we're seeing now the shift back towards relationships. You know, you look at the um, – Richmond Tigers, they, mm. they had a few years ago, they had one of their worst years, but the board did a you know, a sweeping review and said, we've got the right man, he's just not doing the right things. Mm. Focus on relationships and building them with people. The West Coast Eagles done the same, mm. and they've had success with that because they've gone away from, you know, because sport was becoming so data and science-driven, we've got about the people that are actually playing. Yeah. People that are going through the emotions and everything. Yeah, well, like, watch the Adelaide Crows over the next few years, mate, because there's some soul-searching going on there. Yeah, and every sport team goes through it. You know, mm. and I think that's the point of AFL and NRL having a salary cap is that mm. you know players have to move on. There's always change every few years and these up cycles of success and mm. up coming down with players having to move on because their value moves up, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm. But same with business. You know, you don't always mm. have a linear share price, do you? Mm. you, know, you have bumps and speed bumps in the road and whatnot. Unless mm. you're Apple, and you mm. keep going up. Keep going up. Up and up, but even there, flatlining. Microsoft, when Apple came on board, they mm. look at that, and they were flatlining for a while, but now they're better than ever. So it's cycles. Big time. Yeah. and and Momentum. And Western Force, where are they going? Interesting spot at the moment. You know, last year we had our, our World Series rugby, and, the sh- and this year we had our showcase, and next year we're building into a fully-fledged competition, which is really exciting to be part of. And I think the best part is that, you know, we're shaking up the narrative. Yeah. Um, why aren't we targeting Asia population to play sport and we've seen AFL target there we've seen NBA target there mm. NFL will probably be there soon as well because there is such mm. a and now with Japan and rugby exactly. World Cup exactly and this nation that's just made the quarterfinals that wasn't ranked in the top 12 I think maybe in world rankings yeah but I remember I remember I remember their game against uh, South Africa yeah the Brighton <laughs> miracle which they've made a bloody hell you know, so I watched that that was amazing yeah it was yeah the weekend's game was even better. But you think it's it, Ireland. Was it the coat? Yeah. But Scotland, was, sorry. Scotland. Not Ireland. Was it the Oh, it was Scotland, wasn't it? Yeah. Um I thought it was Ireland as well. That was Burma, yeah. Um was it the coach? Japan. Yeah. Uh well I think Eddie Jones was the reason yeah. previously. But I think he shook up Japan rugby and what yeah. they can do. Yeah. Um, and obviously they've 
done a bit of work there targeting foreign players and residency rules, all that kind of stuff. But mm. they work bloody hard. You know, speaking to players that have know who's involved in one. I think they do up to six training sessions a day. Some of them, the Japanese culture has always been about hard work. And did you guys play up. Japan? Western Force. Uh, we played their A team. Yeah, the Wolfpack. Right. That's that's yeah. right. They were big. Lost, lost by a try, I think. No, that's not who I was thinking of. Out here, there was another Asian team that you guys played against. Panasonic Wild Knights, they're a Japanese yeah, team. Yeah, Wild Knights. Yeah. They were big. And fast. Yeah. And they had a fast. lot of French nationals playing for them, I think. And lost a lot of internationals, yeah. <laughs> sure did. That's my dog guarding the house. What are you passionate about these days? Uh, family, definitely. Yeah. Being a, a recent father, recently new father, however you say that English was. Mm. Um yeah, got a little six-month-old at home and had a couple of injuries, so I've got to spend some really good time there. Mm. Um, I like how you stand up straighter when you talk about your wife as well. I reckon that's pretty cool. <laughs> she's, um, yeah, she's probably the reason I am where I am, to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah. You know, someone that's supported me from day one and uh, we've been able to go on this journey together and I lived in Canberra for a while. She did long distance while she finished mm. her degree and then moved over to Perth and, yeah, mm. she loves it here. So She does like a dance. Does like a dance, barn loves, dance, loves a beer, yeah, country girl. So I was going to talk to you about alcohol, actually. Now I think of it, yeah. alcohol and sleep, some of our topics as well. On this. No, but mostly, like I like a wine and a, and a beer and, and the like. But I'm also trying to tell people or send a message that you know we should be doing that a little bit less frequently because we it, it is terrible for us mm. for your body um, on your sleep patterns. Obviously, yeah. you know, socially it's great fun. You get into that habit where you, where you start drinking a bottle of wine a night or three or four beers a night or something like that, and you you being dialed in to your to your body and your reactions to everything where most of us aren't, you'd see the detrimental effects of it. I would assume. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, you know on the topic of you know one to two leads three or four. I think that's a bit of habituation. You know, you become used to what you're Normalize. doing. Then, yeah, before you know it, you're drinking a bottle of wine a night because you're stressed mm. or whatever it may be. But yeah. Couple of lines of cocaine, a bottle of wine, and a whole heap of French Russian hookers and stuff, and it's just a normal night out. Yeah, if you're Russian, but um, that's vodka. Yeah, you know that shit's good for you. So alcohol, yeah, alcohol affects recovery, and yeah. but at the same time, for some people, it, it's a de-stressor, and I think stress probably is the biggest one. To be honest, you know, you look at mm. whether it's athletes or mm. people in the real world. Mm. Uh, I call it the real world because I think we live in a bubble in professional sport, but you know, stress is a massive one, and if it's a de-stressor, then it's probably better for you to have that beer than not have that beer because yeah. of the effects it has on your recovery. But it's interesting, there was a um, the Arsenal coach, there was a, a thing on Twitter the other day that popped up. And, you know, He talks about, as an athlete, you live a very privileged life for 10 to 15 years. And I guess those guys are earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, so they can say that. Yeah. They have private jets. Amazing. But you know, their expectation during the season is zero, zero alcohol. And it should be, they're playing on Sunday and then playing the following game on Wednesday. You know, that's insane turnaround for yeah, a whole year to be to a peak that. performance yeah so obviously at the end of the season they're going to want to let their hair down and enjoy themselves and, yeah. and live normally but yeah. at the same time they're not living a normal life no. so they should be happy and willing to make that sacrifice because yeah. not everyone can live on the money they live on for however many years it is you know yeah and be exposed to the other side of the world and life yeah i mean i've had a job before where, where i was required to have a zero alcohol reading every every minute of every day yeah. for a few years yeah and, I mean, that's a commitment. Absolutely. But, you know, you do it because you want to do that job. It's the same yeah. as these guys want to do, you know, you want to be a world-class soccer player, football player. Mm. At then, the same time, there's yeah. a, a really good debate at the moment about cohesion and cohesion analysis in, in terms of team. And Ben Darwin, a former Wallaby prop, is, is leading a 
mm. business and that sort of charge. And you know, it's interesting, you know, because what's better is bring t- a team together, have a beer. I need to talk to beers, this dude. Have, a few yeah, beers together. So there's an interesting debate about cohesion and you know, de-stresses and yeah. that kind of stuff, and having a beer or two. But you know, where's the line? Because I've been, many? I've been thinking about different personality profiles. So introverts, extroverts, team focused, self focused, um, task focused, and then. And then the right mixture of those people together in a team, yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then the right mixture based on the team to then have. Who do you have then as the leader of that? Mm. Is it another extrovert, task focused person, or is it an introvert, task focused person? Yeah. Which arguably some of Australia's best rugby captains were. Mm. Um, yeah, there's some real psychology behind that, I assume. Yeah, absolutely, and I've been. I've been very pleased in my career to work with some of the best captains that Australian rugby's had. You know, James Hall, um, just before he became the Wallabies captain when I was at the Reds. Ben Mullen, who captained the Wallabies for a bit there. Stephen Moore. Yeah, um, Stephen Moore would have been amazing. Yeah, got to play with Michael Hooper, George Smith, all these guys. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what helped set Sterling, me up. Sterling Mortlock, did you play with him? No, nah, I'm not Played that against old, him. Not that old. <laughs> yeah, fair call. I'm showing my age. <laughs> he was amazing He was. Captain. He was. Um, George Gregan, amazing captain. Yeah. Yeah, amazing player. Yeah, strong. Yeah. I've met George Gregan. He was a lot smaller than I thought. Well, I think when he was playing, I think his playing weight was 79 kilos. Wow. You know, like he'd whip it. But again, powder strength ratio, he could bench. I think it was 170 or something kilos. Jesus, so what? He, you know, crazy. Really and he was a good cricket player too, which sort of stands. And golfer. I think he plays off scratch. Yeah, right. Um, Who doesn't, though? I mean, that's just golf. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I fit for what? Scratch. Fit, don't you? Oh, come on, mate. Single digits, but not scratch. That's um, like... That's because I'm competitive. Ten overs scratch, right? <laughs> anyway, whatever. That's social golf. Oh. Yeah, no, at the putt-putt down the road there, I am a weapon. All right, Ian Pryor, thanks for being on the Warrior You podcast. Let's do it again. We need to get you and Ian Dunican in the same room, and we can call it the Ian Show, and we can just talk about sleep and performance and sport. Yeah. I think you guys have already done that, haven't you? Uh, we did one a while ago, yeah, but it'd be good to refresh and see where his research is at now. Mm. And where can people follow your journey? Oh, I'm not the biggest um, social influencer, but uh, I think I have Instagram. There's some good photos down at the beach, though. <clears throat> yeah, and mainly with the, the little one these yeah, days, and yeah, yeah. between that and the and the dog the dog park. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think my Instagram's Ian Pryor. Yep. I don't think it's anything other than that. And then Twitter, Ian Pryor 90. So. How much longer are you out for? Uh, another few weeks, unfortunately, and it's finals week, so that was a, a bit of pill to swallow. Yeah, um, you know, this has been eighteen months in the work to get us to where we are, and obviously, have enjoyed the input I've had there and working mm. with the team to get to this point. So, mm. to watch it will be tough, but individually, but from a team point of view, doesn't mm. could make me prouder mm. to be able to see you know how resilient we've been when we've lost players, and you know we had we we've lost three or four players um, that have had to be at the World Cup, yet we're still on the minor premiership and we're in the mm. Western Force page first mm. home final mm. you know, club's history so yeah and pretty who's, exciting who's taken over captain duties um, so our leadership group's doing a good job there um, and then the skipper at the moment for the game on the weekend is Andrew Deegan okay so a good good young buck with an old head on his shoulders yeah cool alright well best of luck for the weekend awesome thanks right. man thanks, thanks for having mate. me no worries righto thanks for listening gang If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. And just click on the training tab. Remember, we're going to be in Brisbane in 2020, in July for a massive day of leadership and resilience training workshop and live podcast. So uh, keep it locked in your diary. Righto. Thanks for listening and live a life worth living. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.